Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariya on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim Alhamdulillah Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhina istafa Khususan ala sayyidi rusuli wa khatamil anbiya wa ala alihi alazkiya wa ashabihi alatqiya amma ba'd There are some people who in a very short period of time are able to accomplish so much. You'll see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses them with a totally different dimension of life. It's as if we all live in one dimension and there's a new dimension that Allah opens up for them. That in a small window, they're able to do so much and it's not just doing a lot, but what they do is very, very, very meaningful. And one of those companions is the great Sahabi of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh radiallahu who passes away while being under the age of 40. Some historians have put him at 37 years of age. And then on top of that, he was only Muslim for six years out of those 37 years. But when he passes away, Rasulullah says, the throne of Allah shook out of joy at his passing. Imam Shamsuddin al-Dahbi ta'ala while narrating this statement of Rasulullah he actually states in his seer Alam al-Nubala, the statement of the Prophet ﷺ in itself is mutawatir. Everyone heard the Prophet ﷺ saying this. He didn't just say it in front of one group of people. Everyone heard the Prophet of Allah saying that this man was so great that his death caused the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to shake. When I heard this narration from my teacher, I recall him asking this question, that who here can say the last six years of their life held so much meaning? What have we done with our lives? Many of us have been Muslims our entire life. But if you were to gather all of our good deeds in one scale, they would barely amount to the weight of a feather. First of all, there are no deeds to put there. And then secondly, the good deeds that we have, they're all polluted. And that was something our Shaykh said to us over 20 years ago. Today, in a world of social media, 
Only Allah knows if there's even a single deed of ours that holds any weight at all. In one narration, Rasulullah said to the companions that a time will come that if the people do one-tenth of what you do, they will be successful. Maybe Rasulullah was referring to our time. Because good deeds are just flying away from our hands. There are few people who do tahajjud and those who do it, it disappears. In mentioning it to someone over breakfast or referencing it of why your eyes are so baggy even though you didn't have to share that detail. But why miss it? Instead of just reading quietly, why not take a picture of this and post it online? Shaitan says to you, no, it'll inspire someone. He's lying to you. There are too many videos and pictures of people reading Quran online. You don't need to pile onto that. What you need to do is focus on ikhlas and worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with sincerity. Forget other people. If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills for your deed to inspire another person, He will find a way for them to see it without your intervention. For He is the one who gave you tawfiq to do the deed, and He was the one that will also give tawfiq to the others. Sahib Hidayah, Alama Mirghinani rahimahullah ta'ala, they say regarding him that he fasted for decades of his life without his wife even knowing that he was fasting. Before he passed away, one of his students found out. He saw the sheikh would come would leave his home with a container of food. His wife would pack lunch for him. So he would take it on the way. His student noticed that he was giving it to the fuqara and the poor people. And then he saw him clean out the container and head back home empty. So his wife thought all these years that her husband was eating lunch when in reality he was passing it out to the fuqara on the way and came back home without having one sip of water. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wills for your deed to be seen, He will take care of that matter. Sa'd ibn Mu'adh lived such a short life. And the truth is that if you search for stories in his life, there are so many beautiful moments. But there are these key moments that really stand out. And in these key moments of his life, and we'll look into some of them today, what you see is Sa'd ibn Mu'adh has this unwavering loyalty to the Prophet No matter how intense things get, no matter how threatening the opposition becomes, Sa'ad bin Mu'ad radiallahu an is a pillar with his loyalty to Allah and his Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa His loyalty to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa played a very big role in the way Medina Munawwara developed as a society. Because Sa'ad bin Mu'ad radiallahu an was one of the leaders of Aus. While preparing for this class, I was reading through some scholarly works on Sa'd ibn Mu'adh And one particular scholar, he reflects on the fact that when Rasulullah met with the Ansar in the second bay'ah, before migration, bay'atul aqabah thaniya, Sa'd ibn Mu'adh actually was not there. He was not in the group of 70 odd that came to meet Rasulullah and gave allegiance to the Prophet of Allah before his arrival to Medina. And he points out that maybe, possibly, one of the reasons why he wasn't there was because he was such a leader of his people that had he arrived in Makkah Mukarramah for Hajj, it would have attracted all attention. And these 70 people needed to meet Rasulullah in a private covert gathering. His arrival would have blown the cover. 
All eyes would have been on Sa'ad bin Mu'ad Because he was a leader of his people. He was a very respected person. He accepts Islam at the hands of the great Sahabi of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Mus'ab ibn Umair. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent Mus'ab ibn Umair to Medina Munawwara prior to his arrival. So then Ibn Ishaq narrates that after Sa'ab bin Mu'ad radiallahu anh accepted Islam at Mus'ab radiallahu anh's hands, he went to his people of Banu Abdul Ashhal. And he asked them, كَيْفَ تَعْلَمُونَ أَمْرِي فِيكُمْ What do you guys know about me? Tell me what you know of me. قَالُوا سَيِّدُنَا فَضْلًا وَأَيْمَنُنَا نَقِيبَةً Our leader, Naqib, someone who is at the front, and the man of great virtue, that is you. And then he said, فَإِنَّ كَلَامَكُمْ عَلَيَّ حَرَامٌ رِجَالُكُمْ وَنِسَاؤُكُمْ حَتَّى تُؤْمِنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَبِرَسُولِهِ So if this is what you say about me, I refuse to speak to any one of you, male or female, until you believe in Allah and His Messenger. Just straight up said it. If I am your leader and you respect me, then each and every one of you will become Muslim. فَوَاللَّهِ مَا بَقِيَ فِي دَارِ بَنِي عَبْدِ الْأَشْهَلِ his entire tribe accepted Islam. He is the leader of the people of Aus. So you see when Rasulullah arrives in Medina, a large body of people have already accepted Islam. This is due to the barakah and efforts of Sa'ad bin Mu'ad Ibn Mas'ud narrates that one time, Sa'ad bin Mu'ad headed over to Medina Munawwara for Umrah. Sorry, Makkah Mukarramah for Umrah. When he arrived in Makkah, he spent the night with Umayyah bin Khalaf, who was one of the chieftains of Makkah, and also someone who had committed many crimes against the Sahaba previously. But he had a relationship with Sa'ad bin Mu'ad because Umayyah was from Makkah, Sa'ad was from Medina. Whenever Umayyah went to Sham, which is far north, while passing by Medina, he would spend time with Sa'ad bin Mu'ad And vice versa, when Sa'ad bin Mu'ad would head down to Yemen, or if he was heading toward Makkah Mukarramah, he would spend the night with Umayyah bin Khalaf. So they had this relationship. In Talaqa Sa'ad bin Mu'ad mu'tamiran فَنَزَلَ عَلَىٰ أُمَيَّةَ بْنِ خَلَفٍ So he spent the night with Umayyah bin Khalaf. فَقَالَ أُمَيَّ لَهُ إِنْتَظِرْ حَتَّى إِذَا انْتَصَفَ النَّهَارُ وَغَفَلَ النَّاسُ الطُفْتَ that don't do tawaf right now. You're from Medina. Muhammad has gone to Medina. People are not too happy about this. You're one of the leaders and they know that you're one of his great supporters. So why don't you wait until it's midday when everyone heads home to get a, catch a quick nap, get some rest, and the Kaaba is empty. That will be the perfect time for you to leave my home quietly and perform your tawaf around the Kaaba. So they did exactly that. Sa'ad radiallahu anh waited for midday and he started performing his tawaf. فَبَيْنَا سَعْدٌ يَطُوفُ إِذْ أَتَاهُ أَبُو جَهْلٍ While he was doing tawaf, Abu Jahl popped out of nowhere. So he said, who is this person doing tawaf? He asked him, who are you? فَقَالَ أَنَا سَعْدٌ I am Sa'ad. Sa'ad ibn Mu'adh. 
So then he said, Abu Jahl said to him, Atatufu aminan waqad awaitum Muhammadan wa ashabahu? That you give refuge to Muhammad and the companions and you think you can just do tawaf in peace? You think you're just going to walk around our city without having to face us? Qala, naam. He said, yep, that was a plan. So the two got into it. Umayyah bin Khalaf jumps in. What he should have done was supported the person that he was hosting, this person that he had a long-lasting relationship with, but instead of siding with Sa'ad radiallahu an, he says to Sa'ad, لا ترفع صوتك على أبي الحكم فإنه سيد أهل الوادي Do not raise your voice against Abu, Abu al-Hakam. Abu Jahl's name was Abu al-Hakam. Do not raise your voice against Abu Jahl, for he is the leader of the people of the valley of Mecca. فَإِنَّهُ سَيِّدُ أَهْلِ الْوَادِي So then Sa'ad says to him, you should step back, otherwise you won't have a path to go to Sham anymore. If you don't step out of this, you won't make it to Sham for business anymore, because in order for you guys to go up north for business, you have to pass by Medina. We'll cut your road off. فَغَضِبَ أُمَيَّا got really upset. And then he starts arguing with him, لا ترفع صوتك, don't raise your voice in front of me. So in the middle of this heat, Sa'ad bin Mu'ad says, you know what, I'm done with you guys. And then he looks at Umayyah and points at him and says, you, the Prophet told us that he will end your life with his own hands. You will die in his hands. قال إياي? He said that, what, about me? قال نعم. والله ما يكذب محمد. The Prophet ﷺ never lied. This guy, he knew, Umayyah bin Khalaf knew that the Prophet ﷺ never spoke a lie, and now Sa'ad bin Mu'ad just told him that his death would occur at the Prophet's hands. He went back and told his wife that, you know, that man never lies. And he said, my death, my death is going to occur at his hands. فقالت, so his wife also said, وَاللَّهِ مَا يَكْذِبُ مُحَمَّدٌ That Muhammad وسلم, does not lie. فَلَمَّا خَرَجُوا لِبَدْرٍ The Rawi fast forwards and says, when it came time to head out for the battle of Badr, his wife said to him, don't go. Don't you remember what that Yathrabi, that Madani, Sa'ad bin Mu'adh said to you? So he tried to bow out from his responsibilities in Badr. But Abu Jahl said to him that you are one of the leaders, if you don't join us, it'll hurt our image. You must come. Even if it's for a little bit. Just come a little bit. And they arrived in the battlefield. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused his death to occur in the battle of Badr. And he is one of the very few people who was actually martyred at the hands of Rasulullah. I just don't say martyred, he was killed in the battlefield at the hands of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Sa'ad al-Mu'ad radiallahu an participated in the battle of Badr. And we know regarding the battle of Badr, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said that those who participated in the battle of Badr, Allah has pardoned all of their shortcomings. Everything they have done, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven it. Before the battle even started, because the Muslims had left Medina Munawwara with the intention of intersecting 
capturing a caravan when the caravan that they were trying to intercept um, went around them and now the people of Mecca were marching towards the Muslims with an army of a thousand people, the circumstances changed. They had departed Medina hoping to intersect and to catch a Qurashi caravan. But unfortunately what happens now is that they are about to face off a fully armed group of Meccans that are thirsty for the blood of Muslims. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam needs buy-in from his companions. So he begins to ask them, what do you guys think? The muhajirun were very quick to support Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam because that was basically the summary of their life. O Messenger of Allah, go wherever you want, we are with you. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam kept asking again and again, so what do you guys think? So what do you guys think? So another muhajir companion got up and he said, O Messenger of Allah, we migrated with you, we supported you, we're here with you, we're here with you, we are here with you. They kept saying that again and again. Finally, Sa'ad bin Mu'adh radiallahu anhu said, O Messenger of Allah, you keep asking this question, it's as if, are you trying to solicit a response from us, the Ansar? Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam nods his head. And the reason was because, when the Prophet of Allah arrived in Medina Munawwara, the agreement was the Ansar were only required to fight by the, sta- by the side of the Muslims if Medina was under attack. And clearly they were in Badr, nowhere near Medina, which means this was offensive. And because it was a defense-offense situation, defensive in the sense that the Quraysh were marching towards them, offensive in the sense that they weren't in Medina, so they were outside of Medina, the Ansari companions were not obliged to fight. At that point, Sa'ad bin Mu'adh radiallahu an, he says this very beautiful historical statement, قَدْ آمَنَّا بِكَ فَصَدَّقْنَاكَ O Messenger of Allah, we, have, we believe in you. And we have accepted you as our Prophet. And we believe that the message that you have come with is the truth. And we have given you that we have given you our covenant, we have given you our lives, we are here with you. To always obey you. So move on with what you desire, O Messenger of Allah. Because I swear by the one in whose hands my life lies, if you cross this ocean in front of us, we would cross it with you. Not one man would remain behind. And not one of us is fearful or worried about facing the enemy tomorrow, because as long as we are with you, we will be patient, O Messenger of Allah. O Messenger of Allah, it's possible. You may see from us very soon that which will bring coolness to your eyes. So walk with us with the barakah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We are with you. Companions, they say that when Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam heard these words of Sa'ad bin Mu'adh, he desired the battle of Badr. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he wanted to confront the Quraysh. He was tired of their arrogance, their bullying tactics. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wasallam wanted the buy-in from the companions, and Sa'ad bin Mu'adh radiallahu anhu 
once again used his position as a leader to support Rasulullah He did it the day he became Muslim. And today again you see that he represents all of the Ansar. And he says, O oh, Messenger of Allah, we are with you. And it was after he spoke that the other leaders of the Ansar then, to get, then began to speak one by one by one. And after Sa'd bin Mu'adh was done saying his peace, and committed his unwavering loyalty to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam smiled at him. That's my Sa'd right there. Six years of being Muslim, but in those six years, he stood by the side of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His love for the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam meant that he was willing to take on all the pressure of everyone. If his tribe were to pick a fight, if they were to, if they were to have any qualms, it would have to go through him. Because he was unwilling to shake even the smallest bit when it came to his loyalty to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. When it came to the battle of the trenches, it was a very long, drawn up battle. The Quraysh attacked Medina Munawwara with all their force. And the Muslims were locked in, surrounded by a trench. What they didn't know is that if the battle continued to drag on, it would get difficult, yet they were secure because they were surrounded from all sides with protection. On one side of the Muslims were these forts that belonged to a Jewish tribe called Banu Quraida. Per the agreements, the charters of Medina that were signed upon the arrival of the Prophet ﷺ to Medina, all people living in Medina would defend as one community against external invading forces. The Quraysh had come from outside, even though the Jews of Medina were not Muslim, they were required to protect the city of Medina, which means that they could not give passage to the enemy to enter into Medina, to attack Muslims or the residents of Medina. So the Prophet knew this and therefore allowed for their tribe to be a security wall. However, Banu Quraida betrayed Rasulullah and the Sahaba. And they made an agreement to allow the Quraysh to invade the Muslims while accessing a back door through their tribal area. However, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala caused their plotting to flip against them. How and why is a whole discussion and it's a story that isn't for today. Now it was during this battle of the Khandaq that Sa'ad bin Mu'adh was fighting. He was a very big man. He was a tall, strong person. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala says that when I saw him in the battlefield, he was wearing this armor, but he was so large that his arms were sticking out of the armor. The armor didn't fit him properly. And because his arms were exposed, one of the Quraysh, someone from the opposition, fired an arrow, his name was Ibn al-Ariqa, and the arrow landed on the akhal of Sa'd al-Mu'adh which is a vein right in the middle of the arm, right at the end of the dhira, right here. And when he got, when, he, when, the, when the arrow landed there, Sa'd al-Mu'adh began to bleed profusely. He was um, quite badly injured. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa instructed 
that he be moved from the battlefield to Majd al-Nabwi. As Sa'ad bin Mu'ad is being taken to Majd al-Nabwi, he begins to make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. His dua is, Oh Allah, if this is the end of our affair with the Quraysh, then let's be, let this be the end of my life. But if they will continue to attack us, then allow me to be there by the side of the Prophet every step of the way. And Ya Allah, do not allow me to leave this dunya until the matter of Banu Quraydah is settled. For they betrayed Allah and His Messenger, and they brought great pain to the Prophet he is taken over to the masjid and a very um, and there is a tent erected for him nabi sallallahu alaihi wasallam appoints a nurse to look after him her name is rufaida tudawi al-jarha her task was to take care of people that were wounded so now she focused her attention on Sa'ad bin Mu'ad radiallahu anhu. Nabi sallallahu whenever he would pass by the tent. And the reason why he had him located in that tent specifically was because the Prophet sallallahu wanted to check on him, check up on him himself. So every time he passed by there, he would ask, كَيْفَ أَمْسَيْتَ وَكَيْفَ أَصْبَحْتَ His health began to continue to deteriorate. After the battle of the trenches came to an end, Nabi wasallam and the Sahaba then directed their attention to Banu Quraidah and that siege as well prolonged. It lasted almost 20-25 days. It became long. Sa'ad bin Mu'ad radiallahu'an's bleeding actually paused. It had stopped. The people of Banu Quraidah, the Jewish people in that tribe, they knew they had committed a crime in the middle of an active battle, so this was like the highest form of a war crime. They committed to treason during wartime. And they knew their outcome was not going to be friendly, it wasn't going to be kind, because had their treason worked, all the Muslims would have been butchered and slaughtered. Everyone in Medina Munawwara would have been butchered, all of them would have been slaughtered. Rasulullah made it very clear, their consequences would be very severe. They said, that we agree to submit to justice, but not at your words, O Muhammad. It'll have to be at the words of one of our allies, the leader of the Aus, Sa'ad bin Mu'ad. Rasulullah said, okay, deal. They head over to Sa'ad bin Mu'ad He's resting in his tent. And they say to him that they are requesting for you to arbitrate between the parties. In one narration, Sa'ad bin Mu'ad mounts an animal and makes his way to Banu Quraidah. And when he arrives there, Rasulullah says to the companions, Qumu ila Sayyidikum. Stand up for your leader, he is here. So the Ansar stand up in respect for Sa'ad bin Mu'ad. And then he gives his verdict, which was very harsh, yet in line with justice. After he passes his verdict, he heads back to the tent. And while he lies in the tent, he begins to bleed. The Prophet ﷺ is informed 
Ibn Abbas says that when the blood began to gush from the arm of Sa'd ibn Mu'ad قَامَ إِلَيْهِ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمْ فَاعْتَنَقَهُ Nabi Wasallam he hugged him as the blood was flowing on Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. وَالدَّمُ يَنْفَحُ مِنْ وَجْهِ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ وَلَحْيَتِهِ Sayyidina Abu Bakr al-Siddiq entered into the tent and he saw Sa'ad bleeding out. Aisha anha says that my father started crying. And then Umar entered and he started crying as well. Qalat Aisha, Aisha says, وَالَّذِي نَفْسُ مُحَمَّدٍ بِيَدِهِ إِنِّي لَا أَعْرِفُ بُكَاءَ أَبِي بَكَرْ مِنْ بُكَاءِ عُمَرْ I knew the difference between the two people's crying. I could hear my father crying, I can hear Umar crying. Someone asked her, tell us about the crying of Rasulullah in that moment. She says Rasulullah sat with Sa'ad bin Mu'ad in his lap. Memories. Memories of not just walks and ice cream and, and dinners together, but memories of loyalty. That this man stood by my side. This man was there when it mattered the most. فَإِنَّمَا هُوَ آخِذٌ بِلِحْيَتِهِ Nabi Sallallahu held his beard like this as he cried at Sa'ad al-Mu'ad He cried and cried. And then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, So then Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he said this beautiful statement. I'll actually come back to his dua later on. Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi he puts him down and Sa'ad al-Mu'ad is resting. During the evening hours, the people of his tribe, they arrived and they took him back to the tribe because they knew these were the final moments. حَتَّى كَانَتِ اللَّيْلَ they carried him all the way to his tribe. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa arrived in masjid and saw that the tent was empty. No one was there. He asked, where is Sa'ad bin Mu'adhan? He was supposed to be in this tent. So they said, O Messenger of Allah, intalaqu bihi, his tribe's people came and they took him back home. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa began to rush from the masjid all the way to the, to the tribe, to the area where his tribe lived. The straps, is the, the strap of a, of, of a, of a slipper. So he, they said that the Prophet ﷺ began to run and we were chasing and we were running so fast that our shoe strap began to tear. And our sheets were falling off. We couldn't keep up. We were running full speed. They said, Nabi wasn't jogging. It was full throttle a run. He was rushing for something very important. Some of the companions said, O Messenger of Allah, What's happening? Where are we going? Why are we going so fast? I am worried that we may reach there before. We, I, I, I'm, aware, I'm afraid that we will reach there after the malaika. 
What if we arrive there and the malaika have already washed his body and we missed the opportunity like what happened with Hanzala Ghasir al-Malaika? So Rasulullah he knew that he had passed away and he rushed there. فَانْتَهَا إِلَى الْبَيْتِ وَهُوَ يُغَصَّلْ وَأُمُّهُ تَبْكِي Nabi arrived and his people were washing his body and his mother was crying, singing lines of poetry. When the Prophet ﷺ heard her, he said, كُلُّ بَاكِيَةٍ تَكْذِبْ إِلَّا أُمَّ That every lady that sings poetry has lied, except for this one. Meaning all the poetry that we've heard before of women singing of their family members, most of it's exaggeration. They're just saying it because they're looking for tribal pride. They want people to remember their beloved ones. But he said, this lady, what she is saying regarding her son, not one word of it is an exaggeration. All of it is true. The Prophet ﷺ, he then said, Allahumma inna sa'dan qad jahada fi sabilik, wa saddaqa rasulak, wa qadha alladhi alayhi, fataqabbal ruhahu bi khayri ma taqabbalta bihi ruha. Oh Allah, this sa'd of yours, he fought on your path, and he accepted and submitted to your Prophet, he accepted your Prophet. And he did everything that was obligated on him. And this man committed to every step of the way. So accept his soul. In the, most, in the most beautiful manner that a soul is accepted. When Sa'd bin Mu'ad radiallahu anh passed away, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he sat at his grave. And then he said, Subhanallah. And all the companions followed Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and they said, Subhanallah. He was sitting at his grave and he said it again. Subhanallah. And again everyone said, Subhanallah. And three times. Sabbaha thalathan fasabbaha al-Muslimun. Hatta irtajja al-Baqiyah. And they said that when the Prophet sallam said, Subhanallah, sitting at his grave and the companions followed, it was as if the graveyard of Baqit was shaking. ثُمَّ كَبَّرَ ثَلَاثًا Then he said, Allahu Akbar three times. وَكَبَّرَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ The Muslims also said takbir three times. Later on, someone asked the Messenger of Allah, why did you say Subhanallah and Allahu Akbar while sitting at his grave? فَقَالَ تَضَايَقَ عَلَى صَاحِبُكُمُ الْقَبْرِ that our dear friend and buddy Sa'd bin Mu'ad was lying in the grave, and the grave began to restrict on him. It began to close in on him. And then Rasulullah said, I thought to myself that if there was any one person who would be spared of the constriction of the grave, it would have been Sa'd bin Mu'ad. But as the grave narrowed in on him, I began to do tasbih and takbir, thumma farraja Allahu anhu. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened up the grave for him. Imam Ibn Kathir after narrating this incident, he says, That this restriction of the grave is not any form of punishment. Rather, it is a part of the process of transitioning from this world to the next. Just as كَمَا يَجِدُ أَلَمَ فَقْدِ وَلَدِهِ وَحَمِيمِهِ فِي الدُّنْيَا 
Just as when a person dies, they feel the pain of departing from their beloved ones and their friends. If you were able to lie in the body of the person that leaves this dunya, if you were able to experience what they feel as their clock in this dunya comes to an end, and they feel their body parts becoming light and the soul leaving their body, what you would see is a lot of loneliness. Because as the ruh leaves the body and a person faces death, everything that you've committed to begins to disappear. Your own daughter and son that is sitting by your side and smiling at you, you begin to realize that smile doesn't mean anything. You're not going to see them again. And as the dunya cuts away from you, you see that the only thing that matters is your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. People have regrets on their deathbed. I spoke to a person once who had a near-death experience. He said to me that I fell on my side. And I was certain that death was next. So I closed my eyes and my wife and children all started crying right away. He had young kids, he said they all started crying. He was lying there thinking to himself that the Prophet ﷺ said the last thing that leaves a person's body is their hearing. So all I have now is to listen. And he said, I heard my wife push the children upstairs. And she was next to me holding my hand crying. And I couldn't move my fingers or hand or anything. Just there. He said, Sheikh, at that moment, two things happened. Number one, I saw a vision of one of my teachers who encouraged me to do dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that difficult moment. So I just started doing dhikr. And he said the second thing that happened was when I fell, there was a scholar sitting next to me at that moment. So that scholar came, he put his hand on my chest, and he started reading Surah Al-Mulk. And he came to the ayah, أَلَا يَعْلَمُ مَنْ خَلَقَ وَهُوَ الْلَطِيفِ الْخَبِيرِ He said when he read those words, أَلَا يَعْلَمُ مَنْ خَلَقَ وَهُوَ الْلَطِيفِ الْخَبِيرِ I heard that and I said to Allah, Ya Allah, if there is any khayr left in my life, if there's any good for me left to do in this dunya, then extend my time, I ask you, Al-Latif, Al-Khabir. And he said, I don't know what happened, my eyes opened up. And I was able to breathe. So I asked him, in that moment where you perceived that death was at your doorstep, how did you feel? He said, lonely, very lonely. The thought that I wouldn't see my child again was the hardest. And I had one regret as I was lying there, and that was that I hadn't executed my will properly. That was my one regret. I was young, I thought that this would never happen to me, so I didn't follow through on my wasi, I didn't written anything out. And I began to wonder what's gonna happen with the assets, what's gonna happen to my wife, what's gonna happen to my children. So that loneliness is what he described. And I thought that was very fascinating. That as a person leaves this world, that loneliness, Ibn Kathir, I'm sorry, 
Imam Dhabi says, that loneliness is not a punishment. It's a part of the process. I'm transitioning from this dunya to the next. And that's why Aisha anha, very appropriately embraces the Prophet of Allah in her lap as he breathes his last to be there in that moment. But I'm here with you, O Messenger of Allah. Holding Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa that if you look at all these things, there are these difficulties involved with the transition from this world to the next. All of these things are difficulties, but they're not punishments from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. However, the difference between, he says uh, that, this could never be any form of punishment. These things are not punishment. Rather, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it easier on those servants that are beloved to Him. There is no peace for a believer until he meets his Rabb. My shaykh one time, while commenting on this hadith of Sa'd bin Mu'ad radiallahu in the grave, inna lil qabri dhaghtatan, walau kana ahadun najiyan minha, naja minhu Sa'd ibn Mu'ad. That Nabi Sallallahu said, there is a squeezing that occurs in the grave. If any believer were to be relieved of it, it would have been Sa'd bin Mu'ad. Our shaykh while commenting on this, he said, the muhadithun have taken different perspectives on what actually happened there. One is, like I just said, um, narrated by Imam Dhahabi where he says that this is just a process of the transition. My Shaykh, he presented another perspective. He said that in reality, the earth was so excited that Sa'ad bin Mu'ad had made it, so that squeezing was like a hug from the earth to Sa'ad bin Mu'ad radiallahu anhu. marhaban bi waliyillah. Welcome to the friend of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when a kafir enters into the earth, it's not a hug like, you're welcome here. It's not a warm embrace. Rather, it's crushing of the ribs. It's with anger and rage that how did this person ever have the courage or guts to disobey Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Anas bin Malik radiallahu anhu says that one time, Amr bin Waqid ibn Amr came to visit him. Waqid ibn Amr, he narrates the story himself actually. دخلت على أنس بن مالك وكان واقد من أعظم الناس وأطولهم. أنس بن مالك رضي الله عنه was visited by Waqid bin Amr and he was a very tall man. So Anas رضي الله عنه said, Who are you? من أنت؟ قلت أنا واقد بن عمر. He said, I am Waqid bin Amr. So. Anas radiallahu anhu said, Waqid bin Amr bin Sa'ad bin Mu'ad? Are you the grandson of Sa'ad bin Mu'ad radiallahu anhu? He said, yes, I am. Because his grandfather was a very big man. Qala innaka bi Sa'adin lashabih. Oh, you remind me of your grandpa. I used to serve Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and your grandfather was very special to the Prophet. Thumma baka fa'akthar al-buka. Anas bin Malik radiallahu anh started crying and he cried and cried and cried in memory of Sa'ad bin Mu'ad radiallahu anh. 
his courage, his confidence, his trust, his love, his sacrifice. ثُمَّ قَالَ يَرْحَمُ اللَّهُ سَعْدَ May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's mercy be upon your grandfather. كَانَ مِنْ أَعْظَمِ النَّاسِ وَأَطْوَلِهِمْ He was a tall and big man. One time, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam sent an army out. And when they returned, they came back with a beautiful, elegant garment. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, the companions, they, they, were, they were touching the garment. Like, wow, this garment is very fine. Look how amazing it is. It has like these beautiful pearls built into it. And it's so elegant. فَجَعَلُوا يَمْسَحُونَهَا وَيَنظُرُونَ إِلَيْهَا فَقَالَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ أَتَعَجَبُونَ مِنْ هَذِهِ الْجُبَّةِ The Prophet said to the companions, you guys are excited about this garment, you think it's special? They said, يَا رَسُولُ اللَّهِ مَا رَأَيْنَا ثَوْبًا قَدْتُ أَحْسَنَ مِنْهُ We've never seen a garment more elegant than this one in our life. So the Prophet of Allah said, فَوَاللَّهِ لَمَنَادِيلُ سَعَدُ بْنِ مُعَاذِ فِي الْجَنَّةِ أَحْسَنُ my friend Saad and Muad in Jannah right now, the tissue paper, the small fabric he uses to wipe his hands is better than this. وَقَدْ تَوَاتَرَ قَوْلُ النَّبِيِّ إِنَّ الْعَرْشَ اِهْتَزَّ لِمَوْتِ سَعْدٍ فَرْحًا بِهِ Saad and Muad story is a beautiful one. It's one where there was a person that lived very few years, but lived a meaningful life. Everyone keeps saying, tomorrow, 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 what about your today? Sa'ad bin Mu'adh was in a unique position of being a representative. And the thing about being in a position of leadership is that if you use it effectively, you can change the lives of thousands of people. The story of the migration of the Prophet ﷺ to Medina, the story of the Battle of Badr, the story of peace in Medina post Banu Quraida, it all connects back to this one man. If you find yourself in a position of influence and leadership, don't take it lightly. If you're a teacher, imam in a masjid, teacher somewhere at an institute or seminary, or you find yourself a leader of a community, if you are the leader of a political party or you have a voice somewhere, use that voice of yours very wisely. What made Sa'ad bin Mu'adh so remarkable was he didn't use his position to bolster himself up. When people head into positions of leadership, it very quickly becomes about them, their party, their self-interest. Sadr didn't use his position or his relationship with his tribe for himself. He used it purely for Rasulullah Even on his deathbed, as the man is bleeding out, his concern is for Rasulullah That I don't want anyone from the Quraysh to attack the Prophet of Allah and I'm dead. Ya Allah, delay my death if the Quraysh are gonna come back. And the Quraysh never came back to Medina Munawwara after that day. That was that. He lived a very meaningful life. And this is where I want to end today. I actually want to end today at a question. What meaning do we have in our lives? How have we utilized our positions in the world that we live in? How have we utilized our intellect, our wealth, to promote the deen, to support Rasulullah or otherwise?
The stories of the companions are, in essence, just one big theme. That's what it is. Every one of these stories will start and end with the same message. They live for the sake of this deen. Someone uses their wealth to support their deen, another person uses their influence to support the deen. Each of these people knew that when Rasulullah needed support, their task was to step forward. How long will you and I continue to live these lives of ours in silos, assuming that somehow we can beat the system of the dunya and leave this world with any meaning, with any legacy, without tethering ourselves to Allah and His Rasul You are deluded. You have been fooled. Walk past the graveyard and know very well that the people lying there thought the same thing that you did. And the outcome for all these people is the same. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from being of that group. When I was in Makkah Mukarramah, this is running back over 20 years ago. One of my mentors and teachers, I was with him in Haram Makkah, and Isha Salah had just finished. After Isha Salah, the person next to me, he looked over at our sheikh, and he went and shook the sheikh's hand, kissed his hand, and then he said, Dua, Dua, and he left. Another person came, he shook the sheikh's hand, he said, Dua, Dua, and he left. I don't know if these guys knew that they could speak the same language or not. Like this guy was Indonesian, that guy was Malay, this guy was from one part of the world, that guy was from another part of the world, this guy looked Bosnian, this guy looked Turkish. And before you knew it, there was a big crowd of people that all gathered around Sheikh Yunus Security cameras in the Haram began to turn in our direction. A few moments later, the cops showed up and they were really mad because there was a big crowd of people all gathered around the Sheikh trying to shake his hands. One of the cops said something very foul to Sheikh Yunus and began to shout at him. And in Arabic, commanded him to leave the Haram immediately because he was a disturbance. Sheikh Yunus, Allah he said to me, Hussein, take me out. He was on a wheelchair. So I began to push him out of the Haram. When we left the King Abdul Aziz gate, we had gone a little further ahead and I kind of stopped there and I went around the uh, wheelchair and sat in front of him and I saw Sheikh Yunus was in tears. I had assumed that maybe the tears were a result of the abuse of that officer. So I said to the Sheikh, Sheikh, I apologize on his behalf. What he did was wrong, Adab, and this is not how you speak to scholars and elders. So he was very kind and Sheikh Yunus said, no, no, I'm not angry at him. He was doing his job. He said, these tears are because I remember when I was a kid, I used to play in a small village of India. No one even knew the name of my village. I would wear these shorts that barely covered my legs and a sleeveless shirt playing in the dirt as a child. We lived in absolute poverty. And he said, today I'm sitting in the haram and people come to kiss my hands. 
And then he's wiping his tears and he said, Hussein, you know what changed? He never called me Hussein by my name, but I'm just putting this in. I don't want to tell you guys what he used to call me. So then he said, you know why they kissed my hands? I stayed silent and then he said, it's because of their love for the Prophet They see me as a scholar of hadith, so there is a resemblance in their mind, they're kissing the hand of Rasulullah As for us, we are unworthy of anyone's honor. We're unworthy of anyone lifting our shoes or opening a door for us. Sheikh Yunus then said, anyone in history that has connected themselves to the Prophet of Allah has elevated themselves in the dunya and in the akhirah. Today is the 12th of Rabi'ul Awal actually. Some historians have claimed that this is the day Rasulullah was born. Others say it was the 8th of Rabi'ul Awal, the 9th of Rabi'ul Awal, and all the other opinions are there. And it's in this month that historically Muslims studied books of Sirah. They picked up books and they would study them. Families would get together and share the stories of Rasulullah People would gather and sing praise, sing poetry of Rasulullah It's not so much about celebrating a birth as much as it was about just taking pride in who our Prophet is. Before our children dissolve into the dunya, from a young age we tell them the story of our Prophet with pride, with joy, that he was who he was. فَإِنَّ فَضْلَ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ لَيْسَ لَهُ حَدٌ فَيُعْرِبُ عَنْهُ النَّاتِقٌ بِفَمِي Poets would try to describe the gathering of Rasulullah Someone tries to describe the smile of Rasulullah Someone tries to describe the beautiful face of Rasulullah جَانْدَ سِي تَشْبِيهَ دَيْنَا يَبِكُوِي إِنْسَافِهِ اُسْكَي مُوْبَي چَحَيَا مَدْنِي کَا چَحْرَا سَافِهِ the poet's saying that if you were to enter into the gathering with the Prophet of Allah, on one side you had Ali, on the other side you had Omar, and in front you had Abu Bakr, on that side you had Uthman. Iksimta Ali, Iksimta Umar, Abu Bakr idar, Usman udar. In jagmag jagmag tarume, among these twinkling stars of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, in that gathering, mahtabaka alam kya hoga. Can you even begin to imagine the beauty of the moon seated right in the center? A person enters into the Prophet's gathering and sees Abu Bakr and is like, what the? What is going on? Why is there so much barakah here? And they look over at Umar an, like, what? And then Uthman, and you're looking at all these people. And you realize that these were the people that toppled the Roman and Persian Empire. That the Romans and Persians are terrified of these people. So someone tried to explain what the might and greatness of the Prophet was, who was their master and mentor. Someone explain. 
What's going on here? So he says that if you ever enter into the Prophet's gathering, there are these twinkling stars everywhere. Imagine the beauty of the Prophet right at the center of it. I shared this line of poetry earlier in one of the classes. So I give them an example. The example of this is like you take your children to a Froyo place. You guys ever been to have Froyo? Frozen yogurt? You've been? So when you go to get frozen yogurt, the kids get really caught up with the toppings. Man, look at this. Uh, gummy there, and there's chocolate here, and there's cereal there, and there's sprinkles there, and there's this here, and there's mushrooms, not mushrooms, marshmallows. <laughs> I'm sure there's a mushroom version of this too. Probably in Denver somewhere. So like, you know, one by one, like, you know, like this, this topping, that topping, this topping, that topping. All you guys who are laughing at my mushroom joke are very bad people. You should not understand this, and all the Sufi people should be with a straight face. See, Asad didn't smile. Yene got me. The rest of you all badmash. So the kid is so lost in the toppings, and then Mama says, the frozen yogurt's over there. All the flavors, the firmness, the texture of this yogurt. You get to choose a swirl yourself and select from any variety of flavors you want. The child's mind is in euphoria, it's lost. Is this something you really want to deprive yourself, your family, the community, and your families from? Loving the Prophet Is that what you want? I'm sure I can speak on your behalf and the answer, inshallah. Is it big? No. Use this month of Rabi'ul Awwal to ignite that love for the Prophet. Read poetry. Read a biography work, once a year at least. Read through a whole biography. And as announced after Maghrib Salah, this Sunday, inshallah, at 6 o'clock, we will have a gathering in our own masjid, where we intend to read poetry in praise of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and uh, maybe have a discussion, talk about the Prophet kindle that love. We have heard that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the love for the Prophet like the Sahaba had. And may, all, may we also live and die with honor like the Sahaba did. May Allah Azza wa Jalla accept. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.